Hi everyone and welcome to Flex LNG's third quarter 2021 webcast. I'm Eistan Kalleklev, the CEO of Flex LNG Management, and I will be joined today by our CFO, Knut Troholt, who will walk and talk you through the numbers a bit later in the presentation, before we conclude with our Q&A session. If you would like to ask a question in Q&A session, you can either ask a question through our teleconference or you can use the chat function in this webcast. It's getting cold here in Norway, so I have a bit of a sore throat today. However, it's not COVID, but uh, please bear with me. Slide two disclaimer before we start the presentation. I will remind you of the disclaimer with regards to, among others, forward-looking statements, non-gap measures, and completeness of details. We also recommend that the presentation is read together with the earnings report, which we are also releasing today. Okay, <clears throat> so let's begin with the summary of the hi recent highlights. As we noted in our second quarter presentation in August, the LNG market was very tight with elevated prices, and we therefore highlighted the possibility of a blowout in the market. Even though we are just at the start of the winter season, the market has nevertheless already blown out with both LNG prices and freight rates booming. We argue that a tight LNG product market with very high cargo economics should create ample room for charters to pay premium rates. At the same time, we have argued that there's been a disconnect between spot rates and term rates and that the buoyant term market should create spillover effects for the spot market sentiment. This has certainly played out as we expected, with spot rates on a tear since end of September and now hovering around at all-time high levels. We have put our money where our mouth is and maintained 30% exposure to the spot market, and this we are rewarded handsomely for in the fourth quarter. At the same time, we have also continued to build premium backlog with the recent announcement of two new time charters with startup early next year, which I will cover shortly. Altogether, we have thus fixed eight ships on term charters since April. Most likely, the tally will be nine ships, as we expect Chenier to also declare its fifth optional ship. This means that we are today very well positioned with 13 state-of-the-art LNG carriers on the water after taking delivery of the last three ships during the first half of the year. Third quarter is thus the first quarter with all ships in full operation. Our LNG carrier fleet are fitted with the latest fuel-efficient engines, MEGI or XDF, and the average age of our fleet is only two years. COVID-19 issues are getting less attention in the news media these days, but continues to be a challenge in shipping. Approximately three out of four LNG cargoes are ending up in Asia, where restrictions are more prevalent, particularly when it comes to crew changes. Notwithstanding these cha challenges, we have continued to operate our ships with excellent performance, so once again, thanks to our seafarer and technical team for a great job. In terms of financials, we are once again delivering according to our guidance. Revenues for the quarter were 82 million in line with guidance of approximately 80 million. Our quarterly earnings were 33 million dollars or 32 million dollars if you are just out approximately 1 million dollar derivative gain which we booked in the quarter. This translates into earnings per share of 62 cents or adjusted earnings of 60 cents per share. We are today also announcing a very attractive sale and leaseback for Flex Volunteer, 
A vessel was originally financed in the midst of the COVID-19 crisis last year, and we are now taking advantage of better credit markets and improved credit profile of FlexLNG in order to optimize our financing. Knut will cover the details of this financing in the finance section, but the long and short is that we raised $160 million of long-term financing for the ship at an all-in cost of about 4%, and this will add another $38 million to our cash pile, which already stood at $138 million. This will not be our last refinancing, as we aim to continue to optimize our balance sheet by opportunistically refinancing some of our existing loans at even better terms than we have today, with the aim of freeing up $100 million, which Knut will also explain in more details. With a very comfortable liquidity situation, healthy earnings, strong outlook and improved earnings visibility, the board had thus decided to lift our dividend level from $0.40 cents per share to $0.75 cents per share. This gives our investors a yield of about 14%, which we think should be compelling in this low interest rate environment. Talking about strong outlook, with 30% spot exposure, we are benefiting from improved earnings in the spot market and are therefore revising up our revenue guidance for the fourth quarter from 85 to $100 million to approximately $110 million. This means we are estimating about $30 million higher revenues in fourth quarter, and given our fixed cost base, a dollar increase in revenues are therefore expected to translate into a similar increase in our earnings. Hence, we think it makes sense to significantly lift our dividend level, given our charter coverage and the positive outlook I mentioned. Lastly, we do see that the new decarbonization rules for shipping is creating business opportunities for us. In 2023, the Energy Efficiency Existing Ship Index, or EEXI, and the Carbon Intensity Indicator will come into force, and we do see that more charters are focused on chartering in the new ships when it comes to fleet renewal or growth projects. Our thesis that new ships will replace old ships are therefore coming to fruition, and this we think will create additional opportunities for us to lock in further attractive contracts for our ships. Yes. So let's uh, touch upon our recent charter announcement on slide four. On November 1st, we announced two new time charter contracts for Flex Courageous and Flex Resolute for a period of minimum three years, which option, with option for two additional two-year periods, bringing the total to seven years uh, if both options are declared. The end user here is an energy major, and the ships will be delivered to the charter in direct continuation of their existing time charters, which is expected to end in February and March next year. Having worldwide delivery in direct continuation is, val is a valuable benefit, particularly at this time of the year, as the spot market tends to soften around this time of the year. Week 11, i.e. middle of March, has historically been the low point of the spot market. This might result in idle time if you have ships redelivered re in this period, as there are also usually a lot of ships coming out of the yard at the start of the year. However, we avoid this risk altogether. With these two new charters, we thus have three ships going from shorter-term time charter to longer time charters in the end of Q1 next year, with Flex Freedom being the third ships which uh, will commence a minimum five-year charter at about the same time. The rate under the two new time charters reflects that 
the term market has continued to be strong, and we are therefore adding additional high-margin backlog to our fleet. So with these uh, recent fixtures, we had to bring back the FlexiCute slide. Since the middle of April, we have just announced eight new term contracts for our ships. As mentioned, we expect Genier to declare the fifth ship, increasing this number to a total of nine ships. In April, we announced a big deal with Genier, where they have already taken Flex Vigilant, Flex Endeavour, and Flex Ranger on time charters with a duration of three to 3.8 years. Flex Endeavour was originally three and a half years, but we later agreed early delivery of the ship, which with us longer firm period. In the third quarter next year, we will take one ship with the option for our fifth ship, as mentioned. Uh, we are now planning that the fourth and the fifth ship will be Flex Aurora and Flex Volunteer, as we have the option of nominating performing ships for this contract, which, we have, which have given us some flexibility in pursuing our charter. In May, we booked two ships, Flex Constellation for prompt delivery to a big trading house for a period of three years with option for another three years, and Flex Freedom, as I mentioned, going to a portfolio player for a minimum five-year period during first quarter next year. And lastly, Flex Courageous, Flex Resolute, which we recently announced being fixed with an energy major for a minimum period of three years. Another slide which we had to bring back was the sold-out slide. This we previously used three years ago when we book, booked our fourth quarter at TCE of about $95,000. This is around the level where we also expect the TCE number to be for the fourth quarter this year, but we now managed to do so with 30% spot exposure versus 50% in Q4 2018. As you can see, the backlog is solid. When we started the year, we only had one ship on time charter with a longer duration than one year. But we, we have, as mentioned on previous slide, utilized a strong market to add significant backlog during the year. The contracts for the first eight ships here, from Flex Freedom to Flex Resolute, I have already covered in the previous slide. What I would highlight is that Several of the ships are coming off shorter time charters and are commencing longer-term charters with higher earnings. So we are thus repricing our portfolio at better levels for longer periods, i.e. stronger for longer. Flex Rainbow is currently nearing end of her 12-month time charter, and the charter has the option to extend her for another 12 months at a rate substantially higher than the initial 12-month firm period. As highlighted already, we have kept 30% exposure to the spot market through four of our ships. This is Flex Volunteer, which is trading in the spot market and which is now booked to end of December or early January. We are now planning for Flex Volunteer to be the fifth ship under the Chenier contract, so we will trade her in the spot or potentially on a multi-month contract in the interim period. Additionally, we have three ships on variable higher contracts. This means the earnings are linked to the general spot market earnings. We have Flex Artemis, which is uh, on a long-term variable hire contract with Gunvor until third quarter of 2025, with options for another five years. Flex Artemis was the only ship that we had fixed on longer-term charter prior to the contract presented on the previous slide, and she was fixed on a variable hire contract, while all our term contracts done this year have been on fixed hire contracts. Finally, 
we have Flex Enterprise and Flex Amber, which are also on variable hire contracts. In the past, we have received a lot of questions about how our variable hire contracts have been structured. But we do hope that the fourth quarter guidance demonstrates that we get substantial upside on our earnings under these contracts when the freight market is as hot as today. Slide six, earnings visibility. I have already covered our backlog extensively, but slide six just illustrates how this looks the next couple of years with, as mentioned, 75% cover next year and not far off that level in 2023. Most of the backlog is now fixed hire, but where we also have some variable hire backlog to spice up our earnings. The residual here is options or vessels which we can trade in the spot market. All in all, a balanced and comfortable mix, we think, uh, and our backlog stretches well beyond this three-year period, so we might have to revise this slide next time with a longer period. Dividend. Uh, we covered our dividend philosophy in great detail during our second quarter presentation, so I will not repeat all the factors and considerations. However, what I would like to point out is that we use a balanced and measured approach to conclude on an appropriate and sustainable dividend level with the aim of distributing the free cash flow over the cycle to our owners. Such distribution will primarily be through dividends, but we have also utilized share buybacks with about 1 million shares brought back during the last year at very accretive levels. As we mentioned in our second quarter presentation, we are chasing green lights and we expect more of the traffic light and we expected more of the traffic lights to turn dark green by third quarter given the improved guidance. The only parameter not being dark green is other considerations. Despite recent progress on vaccine rollout in rich economies and successful trials of COVID-19 antiviral pills by Merck and Pfizer, the latter which has proven 89% successful in preventing serious illnesses, there remains some uncertainty which leaves us with a light green color for this factor for the time being. With that upbeat message, I think it's a convenient time for Knut to provide you with some upbeat financial numbers before I will revert with a market update afterwards. Thank you, Einstein, and uh, let's turn to slide nine for the financial highlights. As already mentioned, our TC earnings for the quarter was $68,300 per day. The $10,500 per day increase is mainly driven by seasonal improvement in the market rates and the effect of placing in some of the long-term contracts announced in the first half of the year. On operating expenses, we are less impacted by COVID costs this quarter, and uh, OPEX per day came in at $13,000 for the quarter and $13,400 per day for the nine months. That means year-to-date about $500 per day directly related to COVID costs, and we expect to maintain OPEX per day around the year-to-date level. Uh, we have been pleased to see that the underlying operating expenses, net of COVID costs, remains below the guided level of $13,000 per day. Gross revenues for the quarter came in at $82 million, slightly above our guided level of $80 million, and the uh, revenue increase year-on-year demonstrate the earnings potential of the 13 vessels uh, fleet now fully operational. Adjusted EBTA was $65 million, 
uh, adjusted net income, 32 million, and adjusting earning per share came in at 60 cents per share. The numbers are adjusted for about 1 million gain on interest rate derivatives, which includes unrealized gains of 2.7 million. On the financing, interest expenses are slightly up, reflecting a full quarter on interest on the debt drawn for Flex Vigilant earlier in Q2. Then moving to our balance sheets, which is now plain and straightforward. On the asset side, we have cash of 138 million and vessels booked just shy of 2.4 billion. The quarter on quarter uh, cash uh, development will be explained on the next slide. And the only material change since last quarter is the normal depreciation of the vessels. The increase in current assets is related to charter payment of $2.5 million received on the 30th uh, of um, September, however, recorded on our account on 1st of October. Consequently, it was not qualified as cash on account, but working capital. On the liability side, we have uh, $1.6 billion of long-term debt from international banks and financial institutions. And as a reminder, in times of increasing interest rates, we have an interest rate portfolio of $720 million with a weighted average interest of 1.13%. Including the existing fixed rate leases, the hedge ratio is 67. And adding the announced fixed rate refinancing for volunteer, the hedge ratio will, during Q4, increase to 69% of termination of interest rate swaps related to the existing volunteer financing. We are therefore well hedged against possibly higher long-term interest rates. Book equity is uh, 861 million, which gives a solid book equity ratio of 34%. Then let's turn to uh, slide number 10 and uh, cash flow for the quarter. During the quarter, we're generating about 50 million of free cash flow from operations, working capital, uh, tend to fluctuate up and down depending on timing of charter hire. And all in all, uh, however, we have a negative working capital, although 5.4 million less negative this quarter. During the quarter, we had 27 million in scheduled amortizations. And uh, please note that amortizations are higher in Q1 and Q3 due to our Korea export loan uh, that has semi-annual installments. We also distributed 23.4 million to shareholders, where 2.2 million as share buybacks and 21 million in cash dividend payments. That left us with a comfortable cash position of 138 million at the end of the quarter. After closing of the refinancing of the volunteer, which is expected mid-December, we will further boost our cash balance by approximately $38 million. So let's have a look at the volunteer refinancing. We announced today that we have signed the agreement for a $160 million sale and charter-back transaction with an Asian-based lease provider. The lease has a duration of 10 years and further adding length to a debt maturity profile. 
The transaction is based on a market value from brokers of $215 million for volunteer, and the net amount of $160 million will be booked as long-term debt. After repayment of the existing financing, the transaction frees up $38 million in cash, as mentioned. Uh, at the maturity in year 10, the balloon is $80 million, and that reflects a 20 years repayment profile, and that results in an age-adjusted uh, uh, repayment profile of 21 years. The all-in uh, fixed interest rate is uh, for a 10-year transaction is attractive at 4%. Uh, we have signed the, the MOA and the, uh, the Bearbo Charter Agreement, and the remaining is uh, certain customary closing conditions. And as mentioned, we expect to conclude this uh, by mid-December. And that takes us to the next slide and our $100 million balance sheet optimization program. Uh, the Flex Volunteer is the first transaction under this program. And uh, this is based on our solid backlog of attractive long-term contracts secured during the last nine months. Uh, which has increased the earnings visibility and de-risked the company. We therefore aim to optimize the debt funding with a series of refinancing to reflect the improved credit profile. The original debt funding of the company was done with the purpose of having a flexibility to trade the vessels uh, in the spot market until the long-term contracts were secured. As now eight vessels, possibly nine, have been fixed on long-term contracts and three on variable higher contracts, there is room to further optimize the depth, both in terms of size and cost of depth. The target is to free up $100 million, reduce the cost of depth, and maintain our industry-leading cash break-even level. We have a number of depth facilities that will be considered under the program, and looking at our depth profile on the right, it is likely that the depth maturities for 2024 will be addressed and therefore pushed even further out. The 2025 maturity is related to the commercial tranche under the 629 million ECA facility with Korea Exim, uh, where the ECA tranches matures later. Hence, we envision that this facility will remain and the commercial trial to be refinanced due to the attractive long-term ECA commitment. All in all, we have a solid funding platform with a supportive lending group and with no immediate maturities, and this gives us a room and flexibility to optimize the debt funding which we aim to utilize under this program. So with that, back to you, Einstein. Thank you, Knut. Slide 13. At the start of our market section in our last presentation, the headline was Chimerica dominates in the first half and growth set to accelerate in the second half. Chimerica was a reference to the two superpowers, China and America. That is very much still the case, particularly on the export side, with more than 60% growth in U.S. exports in 2021 compared to last year. We thus expect U.S. to export close to full nameplate capacity this year with around, with around 70 million tons of export. 
This is 5 million tons higher than the EIA estimate a year ago, as they expected about 6 million tons lost due to cancellations, while the actual number is about half a million tons. This means U.S. is now on a solid third place behind Australia and Qatar. The reasons for such staggering growth in U.S. exports are twofolded. First, the most obvious reason, due to the outbreak of uh, the COVID-19 pandemic last year, global gas prices plummeted, and this made it uneconomically to export U.S. flexible volumes, and we therefore, for the first time ever, saw a wave of commercial cargo cancellation outside of the winter season, with a total of approximately 180 cargos being cancelled. This year, there's been no commercial cargo cancellation, although there have been reported a total of seven cargos cancelled, five due to the big freeze in Texas, and two cargos in January due to lack of available ships given the tight market at the time. Avoidance of cancellation does add about 13 million tons in U.S. exports. The second reason is ramp-up of new exports capacity, which was commissioned last year uh, or during 2021, which adds about 9 million tons. In our Q2 presentation in August, we showed that export growth in the first half of the year was 4%, but we estimated that export growth in the second half would accelerate to about 10%, thus resulting in an overall growth of about 7%. We are now spot on the 7% estimate with two months to go. Although growth for the remaining two months will normalize at a slower pace as there were very few cargo cancellations in the, these, two last, these two months last year. Australia is on track to surpass Qatar this year as the biggest exporter for the first time. Australia has a higher nameplate capacity than Qatar with about 86 million ton capacity versus 77 million ton in Qatar, but supply outages at facilities like Gorgon and Prelude have in the past resulted in Australia punching below its weight. Eventually, however, Qatar will race to the top again with a huge 49 million ton expansion project. In our Q3 2020 presentation a year ago, we presented what was then an extremely bullish forecast for 2021 export growth with an estimate of 24 million ton growth. I say extremely bullish as Potent's estimate at the time were 8 million ton growth in 2021, while Fernley's base case was 15 million ton growth. We are now on track for about 20 million ton growth in 2021. The main reason for the shortfall versus our estimate is feed gas issues in Trinidad, Tobago, and Nigeria, which is knocking off 3 million tons of export for both countries. Extended outages for the Melkoya LNG plant in Norway is also contributing negatively. Egypt has, however, bounced back strongly, as we forecasted a year ago, with 5 million ton growth so far this year. So let's then have a look at the other side of the export equation, imports. As I alluded to in the previous slide, China is the biggest growth market. By end of October, China has grown their imports by 10 million tons compared to October last year. This is a growth factor of 18% in a country with still quite a lot of COVID-19 restriction given their zero tolerance policy. This means that China has now surpassed Japan as the world's largest LNG importer. 
LNG demand in South Korea has also been strong with an impressive 19% growth, adding 6 million tons compared to October 2020. There are two other outliers, the first being Brazil, which has grown its imports by a staggering 350%, growing from just 1.4 million tons to 6.2 million tons. The high import growth in Brazil is caused by drought, affecting hydro balances adversely due to La Nina. The other outlier is Europe, where imports have declined by 12%. This is not due to energy demand being soft in Europe, as evident by the energy crisis and call for Putin to increase Russian pipeline exports. The reason is firstly that European imports were very high in 2020, as European buyers were able to take advantage of low gas prices and buy gas at rock-bottom prices for storage. The second reason is that there has been fierce global competition for scarce LNG and other countries have been willing to pay a higher price and thus diverting LNG from Europe. An example of this is China on September 30th ordering their state-owned energy companies to do whatever it takes to secure fuel. This brought back memories to the euro crisis in 2020, uh, 2012, when Mario Drago calmed the European bond markets with three famous words and similar words, whatever it takes. The result of Europe not being able to source enough LNG cargo is that inventories in Europe are well below the normal levels, with inventory levels of around 75% versus 94% last year. Another cold winter in Europe can thus result in rapid depletion of gas inventories, high volatility in gas prices, and very low gas inventories at the end of the heating season, which will create a big drive for restocking over the summer of 2022. We do see this playing out today, with European gas prices surging due to delay in approval process of Nord Stream 2. Hence, the gas market will remain tight, and this is reflected in high gas prices, both spot and future prices, as I will cover on the next few slides. So, before diving into gas prices, let's step back and digest how elevated prices have become. Spot LNG prices in Asia have come down from the peaks in October, but remain at high levels with the current price per million BTU of around $30. As there are 5.8 million BTU in a barrel of oil, this means that spot LNG is at approximately $180 per barrel, more than twice the price of oil, despite oil prices also being at such elevated prices that President Biden is urging OPEC, and particularly the Saudis, to increase exports in order to get petrol prices down in the U.S. However, it's fair to say that the price of natural gas varies greatly depending on location, as I will show on the next slide. As mentioned, <clears throat> the price of gas depends on where you are. This, this simplistic graph illustrates this fact. Today, the price of natural gas in U.S., measured by Henry Hub, is about $5. A large LNG cargo does have a value of about $20 million in the U.S., or $23 million if we add 15% on top of Henry Hub for liquefaction. In addition, there is also a tolling cost of 2 to $3 per million BTU. These are, however, in the short term, sunk costs for buyers. In Europe, which imports about 20% of all cargoes, 
natural gas prices are at about $25, giving a value of a large cargo of about $100 million. In Asia, which is the main import region with about 75% market share, the LNG price is, as mentioned, about $30, giving a cargo value of $120 million. The arbitrage spread are thus very attractive, and a trader would prefer shipping the cargoes to Asia, where the cargo values and arbitrage profits are the highest. As you can see, the farther you need to ship the cargo from the U.S., the higher the LNG price as shipping distance is longer and shipping is today costly, particularly with the Panama congestion. Please note that these prices are from Friday, November 12th, and given the uproar in the gas market this week with regards to Nord Stream 2, prices are now even higher. Slide 15. With the price dynamics I explained, it might not come as a surprise that interbasin trade i.e. export from the Atlantic Basin to the Pacific Basin, is up by a lot this year. By end of October, it's up by a whopping 48%. As cargoes have, has to be shipped longer, ton mileage is therefore all, also up by an impressive 18%. Ton mile growth has been very supportive of freight demand, so no wonder that the shipping market is tight. This happened despite most industry experts this year predicting a big surplus of ships given the approximately 55 new building delivery this year, which is a lot compared to recent years, but also when we look into 2022 and 2023, when we have on average about 30 ships set for delivery. So slide 18, gas prices. Um, then, um, this uh, graph shows gas prices measured by the local U.S. gas price, Henry Hub, the Northwest European gas price, TTF, the Asian spot price, JKM, and the dotted line representing LNG price towards oil with about 25% discount, which is, typical, uh, which is a typical contract price for LNG under long-term oil-linked contracts. Since our second quarter presentation in August, the gas prices have been on a tear, with the Asian spot price, JKM, hitting an all-time high of $56 on October 6, before falling back to $36 the next day after President Putin of Russia talked down the European gas prices with promises of increased Russian pipeline flows. However, so far the supply response from Russia has been muted, so gas prices continue to stay at very elevated levels, also reflecting the fact that a cold winter can result in quick rundown of inventories, so the market is definitely balancing on a tight rope. Looking forward, we do see that the futures markets continue to price gas at very high levels throughout 2022, which makes sense given the restocking, which will probably be needed next year. However, we do see a slow and gradual normalization of prices by middle of 2023, when they are converging towards the typical oil-linked LNG price. So while gas prices are now a bit too hot for comfort, which creates some demand destruction, we are converging towards more normalized levels. Slide 19, turning to slide 19, and, the, and finally we can talk about the spot market for freight. As you can see from the slide, the spot market is booming. Vessel availability remains very tight, with Clarkson quoting just one ship available prompt, and this is a steam turbine. 
Next 14 days, they have no ships coming open. Then they have one tri-fuel ships available within the window 15 to 28 days. And then finally, a two-stroke or MEGI-XDF being flex volunteer open in the window after 29 days. With the cargo economics we are seeing and the arbitrage spreads, we are therefore seeing a very firm spot market. The rates presented here is the freight assessment for alternative routes by Baltic Exchange and Sparks on November 12th. Both Baltic and Spark has released fresh numbers today, which are even higher. Spark rates are up by an average of $19,000, while the Baltic LNG rates are up by an average of about $15,000. Please note that these rates are time charter equivalent earnings, or TCE numbers, which includes positioning and ballast bonus. As I have explained in the past, ballast bonus can vary greatly depending on the market. Today, ballast bonus is considerably more favorable than just round-trip basis. This means earnings are typically higher than headline spot rates. As LNG is more expensive than fuel oil, as I previously shown you, the Baltic LNG rates are around 280 to 340,000, depending on route for a tri-fuel in fuel mode. In LNG mode, Baltic LNG rates are assessed to 235 to $290,000 per day. The Spark rates are in line with this, but you should be aware that Sparks add an approximately $60,000 premium for MEGI XDF ships, as these are more fuel efficient and can transport a larger cargo than a standard 160,000 cubic tri-fuel ships. Okay, slide 20, and let's have a look at the forward spot earnings expectations. The forward freight agreement market, or just FFA, is a forward market for freight, and this is becoming more liquid and mature also in LNG shipping. The benchmark ship for this contract is also a 160,000 cubic tri-fuel ship. As we can see from this graph, we do expect the freight market to continue to act seasonally as in the past. Right now, the freight market is red hot, but we do expect it to calm down during Q1 next year. Although, it's fair to say that the Q1 FFA at $125,000 per day is a pretty good level. Second quarter, which is usually the softest quarter, is at $70,000, while third quarter is slightly higher at $75,000. Fourth quarter is, as we know from the past, anybody's guess. But at least the market is pricing this at $110,000 today. Altogether, this average out at $95,000, and keep in mind these rates are for a tri-fuel ship which is typically about 10 years old, so if there were a FFA market for new MEGI-XDF ships, this, the, these rates would certainly be at a substantial premium to this level, which is also evident from the term market, which I will cover on the next slide. So last slide before we conclude, slide one, term market, one-year time charter rate, which is the best proxy for future earnings in the spot market, has also been on a tear for the last four, five, six months. For most of 2020, the one-year TC rate uh, were hovering around $60,000 per day, and this was also the case at the start of 2021. Th that was until the market sentiment abruptly turned more positive in April. 
This is also the reason why we did not lock in any ships on term contracts prior to the market shifting, except for Flex Artemis, but this was, as mentioned, a ship we fixed on a variable contract linked to the spot market. Since April, the one-year time charter rate has doubled. The one-year time charter rate for modern tonnage quoted by Fernlis is currently $125,000 per day. The firm one-year time charter rate is also pushing up longer-term charter rates with affinity quoting three-year time charter rates at close to $100,000 per day, which is maybe not too surprising as the yards are running low on 2025 delivery slots. At the same time, new billing prices have been moving steadily upwards closer to $210 million, which means new, building also, new buildings are also requiring higher rates than was the case 12 months ago. We have a minimum of three ships for re-delivery within end of 2024, with two ships possibly coming open, depending on option. So we think we will be well positioned to fix these ships on attractive employment, given the lack of available modern ships in this window. So that's uh, all. Uh, let's briefly summarize today's presentation. Revenues for the third quarter. 82 million in line with guidance. We have hiked our Q4 revenue guidance from 85 to 100 million dollars to about 110 million dollars, reflecting super strong spot earnings on our four ships exposed to the spot market. We have successfully continued to build high quality attractive backlog, but maintaining spot exposure to spice up our earnings. And this has and this enables us to almost double our dividend from 40 cents to 75 cents, which provides our investors an attractive 14% annualized yield. And this is also a dividend level we are comfortable with. As you are probably already picked up, outlook remains positive, both shorter and longer term. And finally, our balance sheet just keep getting better with an attractive new sale and leaseback, which will grow our already big cash pile to new heights. So that's it from us. I'm happy to take some questions. So let's open for questions uh, uh, from the operator. Thank you. Thank you. To ask a question, you will need to press star and one on your telephone keypad. To cancel the request, you may press the pound or hash key. Once again, to ask a question, please press star and one. No questions that came in over the phone, sir. Please continue. Okay, thank you. I guess you are just uh, kind to me since I have this sore throat and not dragging out me on a long Q&A session. So I appreciate that. Um, uh, thank you for listening in. And uh, we will be back with our Q4 numbers in the middle of uh, February, I, I expect. So thank you, everybody, and have a good day.